When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I'm sorry, you can sit there and look and play with all your silly machines as much as you like. Is Gascoigne going to have a crack? He is, you know. Oh, I say! And tame, and tame again. Crank up the music! Charge your glass! This nation is going to dance all night! What's better, standing out or being outstanding? Different custard. The parameters of a goalkeeping horror show. Dents and blows going into the final lap of the title race. When your Turkish footballer-based password is arguably too easy. Hyperpop fourth-choice goalkeepers. A dubious rescuing at Stamford Bridge. Mrs Warnock arrives on cue. You'll never believe who England are playing in their pre-Euros warm-up games. Just what makes a manager wily, Scottish or otherwise. And Richard Keyes on dignity. Brought to your ears by Goalhanger Podcasts. This is football cliches. Hello everyone and welcome to Football Clichés. I'm Adam Hurry and on the adjudication panel, of course, is Charlie Eccleshare. How's it going? Very well, thank you. And David Walker, how are things? Very good. Great, excellent to hear. Before we get started on the adjudication panel today, we received a lovely explanation of last week's mystery, which was Tony Gale's teapot finish. Let's refresh our memories about that. That's got to be in the back of the net, I'm sorry. Centre forward should be burying those. There he goes. Goes for the old teapot finish, tries to smash it down on the volley. (laughs) So we did our best to get to the bottom of this, but um, thankfully, via the great Gary Taphouse, who was commentating alongside Tony Gale the other night, uh, we got this explanation. So what is the teapot finish? The teapot finish on the volley is not one of those side foot volleys. It's one where you get your foot down and over the ball, and the arms come up like that as well. Come on, Bundle! in the shape of a teapot. It's a teapot finish. So. The, Love his delivery. It's so good. <laughs> one of those. But so, Charlie, it wasn't the trajectory of the ball. That was a red herring. It's all about arm position and the way you sort of lean as you do it. Yeah, which I think Dave um, hinted at uh, while, while, while we were trying to work uh, it out. I would so. say more Kudos than hinted at, actually. I'm, I'm, Said explicitly. <laughs> I'm, I'm taking credit for this. Yeah, hinted I got it. strongly. <laughs> Yeah, it was, it was perfectly valid logic, and so it turned out. Excellent news. Thanks, Tony Gale. I meant to say as well, so, uh, th- sorry, I meant to say this last week, but um, I really enjoyed, I know we like seeing kind of football speak in other contexts, and watching University Challenge last week, it was a very close win, 
and the winning team had started really badly and the host of Moraj and said god you do like to make it stressful for yourselves don't you yeah. <laughs> I just thought that was a lovely yeah very united in the 90s or something nod uh, are some universities more prone to that do you think well exactly I wondered that I was like, is this um, yeah DNA of Trinity College Cambridge <laughs> excellent oh yeah we, we, should, we should assess the patterns of that I'd like to see him right it is time to adjudication panel but before we even do that a little teaser of Keys and Grey Corner later on. And I just wish he'd had a little more class about him. The shows players, a little more you're not dignity. Me the place to show I agree a little with you. more dignity. I just need to show more yes, dignity. Yes, I agree with you, 100%. Not oh, just think, on the, on the think, one. <laughs> I think we all know where that's going, don't mm. we? Excellent. Right, let's kick off the adjudication panel with this. This came via almost all of you. Uh, it was some subtle match of the day nuance when it comes to Ross Barkley's performance at St James's Park on Saturday. Only one defeat in uh, nine games in all competitions uh, now f for Luton. And not for the first time this season, uh, Ross Barkley stood out, didn't he? You know what, he, he was outstanding. Um, he didn't just stand out, he really dominated that midfield today. I think... Lots of people questioning, Dave, all about those two things are the same thing. I, I mean, I mean they've, they've come to mean slightly different things, but I do enjoy them being put together. Have they come to mean slightly different things? Well, outstanding. Outstanding means just more high quality, not necessarily standing out. I think you could be outstanding and not stand out. Yeah, because you might say everyone was outstanding today. Yeah. To, you know, to a man, we were outstanding. An outstanding team effort. Well, standing out from what? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I guess. From your other efforts, previous efforts. It just efforts. means good, Dave. Dave, it just means good now. <laughs> uh, okay. My The basis of my logic for that, Dave, is that Genius kind of interpreted it as different things. It's like he didn't feel like standing out was sufficient there. Outstanding trumped standing out. I think you might be giving a bit too much credit no, there. No, I, I think... I, <laughs> I, I know what you're getting credit. at. Yeah. No, I know what you mean, because I think the suggestion might have been that, you know, he's stood out in a Luton team, you know, so his quality and what he offers is very different. So it makes him stand out. Might have been Lineker's implication. I think Gene's trying to make the point, like, he's been outstanding. He's just been really, really good, kind of measured against any level. Not just that he looks very different from kind of the rest of the Luton players. Yeah, bang on. But yeah, it, it was just nice to see them put together and tested against each other, pitted against each other. I love that. Dave, in, implying there that I was jumping to Jermaine Genius's defence, I wasn't necessarily. It was a fairly neutral stance from me, but I'm definitely jumping to his defence at this point because Mark got in touch with a very intriguing DM on Twitter. He says, can you please discuss Jermaine Genius on Match of the Day calling Ollie Watkins' performance against Sheffield United different custard? Football is no stranger to food-based cliches, but personally, this feels a step too far. Nonetheless, the way it was so nonchalantly dropped in, despite being a saying never uttered before, is remarkable. Uh, obviously, I, I, I couldn't get to this clip quicker. I wanted it to be true, and here it is. You could have picked a number of players out, but um, three assists and yeah. a goal. He was Molly Watkins. Yeah, he was different custard. And I think, you know, every now and Obviously, he didn't say different custard. Obviously, he didn't say different <laughs> custard, Charlie. Can you imagine that ever being a thing? I feel like it could be. I mean, yeah, I can. After, you know, after the teapot finish. And obviously, different gravy is very popular, isn't it? Do you get different mustard? I mean, there are lots of different mustards. But yeah. people could be described as mustard. Yeah. yeah. He was mustard today. He was mustard. Different gravy is definitely better than mustard. So where would different custards sit? <laughs> Different I, custard. I don't know though. Different custard. Maybe it should be a bad thing. Like he was terrible today. He was different custard. It's not the custard I'm accustomed to. The pink custard used to get at school from the dinner ladies. <laughs> you don't want that. Lumpy custard. Different custard. Charlie, in summary here, I'm relieved that it, was, it wasn't true and it wasn't a thing because uh, I would feel ashamed on his behalf of that. Yeah. Think. 
Yeah. I still wouldn't totally rule out someone saying it somewhere along the line. Yeah, but it, as you say, it is much more likely to be said by a Ray Parler or a Tony Gale or a Paul Merson. Yes. Different custard. <laughs> Someone's, <laughs> someone who likes the pod is now going to say this on a broadcast, I hope. Uh, let's, let's start this trend. Next up, Charlie Reynolds writes in, Charlie, and says, you may have already covered this, but could Alison's error in his m- defensive mix-up with Virgil van Dyke count as a horror show? And what is the mm. threshold for a horror show? I think this is a rare occasion where the word show can be applied to a single incident. Whereas instead of like running the show or it was the, mm. it was the Charlie Eccleshare show today. This, in this case, a horror show is broadly used more for individual incidents than a whole game of poor performance. I would sort of question here how much it's... I mean, he does gaff, but it's also Van Dyke. And Van Dyke deflects in the third goal. I wonder if, if anyone has a horror show. It might be more Van Dyke than Alison. I think it is. It is a Van Dyke horror show. And they, they went into great detail post-match on Sky, breaking down Van Dyke's errors in all three goals. And then they really got stuck into him. And then he talked about it himself uh, with Patrick Davidson afterwards in kind of kind of holding his hands up to it. Like, it, you could easily have seen this being a headline as Van Dyke horror show gives mm. Arsenal the three points. Okay. Whereas Alisson, it's a really bad error. And he didn't do great for the third goal either, let's use legs. But like, didn't cover himself in glory, did he? No, I don't think it's. I don't think that's quite a horror show. Yeah, no. I think you're. I think you're right, Adam. I think it is more of a he didn't cover himself in glory. Mm, okay. But I agree with you. I think a horror show for a goalkeeper can just relate to one incident if it's so big and high profile. Wasn't there a game? One of this. One of the games against City a few years ago, and Allison that more than once gave the ball away. Yeah, yeah. In the that, lockdown 2021 that's, season. Strikes me as more of a horror show, but yeah, I think I think he was just out horrid. <laughs> horror shows. There, there were multiple yesterday. So quite a versatile term then. But um, I mean, dawned on me, Charlie, that what is a horror show? What, what was the original? What, where does it come from? A horror show? What is that? I mean, it's. I don't think it can be like a horror TV program. That that it must be older than that. <laughs> I can't think what it must be. It's like a I don't know, like a fairground thing. A yeah, horror that show. Is a good- that is a good question. How, the, how the Rocky, scary can shows be? There's the Rocky Horror Show. Yeah. Of course. Sorry, that's just yeah. exactly it, isn't it? Yeah. Well, yeah. is it though? I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a musical. It's like you have a good time. You don't go to the Rocky Horror Show to be scared, do you? The time warp and all that. Yeah. <laughs> the time warp. Meanwhile at the Emirates, Roberto Hollis writes in about a headline in the Telegraph which says Arsenal delivered devastating blow to Liverpool's title hopes. As unfortunate as the defeat for Liverpool was, Roberto says, how could it be a devastating blow to their title hopes when Liverpool was still technically top of the league? It almost implies that it's denied Liverpool winning the league this season. This definitely wasn't devastating blow, was it, Charlie? It wasn't even a dent. I don't think this counts as a dent. Oh, I think it was a dent because it means now City can overtake them, even games played. And that's that's a dent for me. If you're going from it being in your own hands to, and I know technically it's in their own hands because they play City, but it's it it's now. But we're still in the jostling the position phase. Like it, it kind of doesn't matter who's top, really. I don't know, and I think it does speak to as well how good City are. That if you do, you know, a loss like this, I definitely think it's a dent. I mean, yeah, devastating. Devastating maybe is overstating it, but it's it's a dent and a blow for sure. Would it have been a devastating blow? To Arsenal's title challenge, if they'd lost, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, they'd basically knock them out of the race if they had. Really? Yeah, they'd have been eight points behind Liverpool. Okay, and I think seven if City, six if City won their games in hand. I would have accepted hammer blow for that then, but it wouldn't have like it wouldn't have laid in tatters. Ah, I don't know. Eight points. Eight points is not tatters this early though. 
tatters is where Mikel Arteta would basically be pressed on whether he's conceding the title. And I don't think he would have been asked that if they'd lost. Oh, I think he would have been. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the too talk early going for title no, concession the, chat. The talk going into it was if Arsenal lose, they're out of the title race. Wow. I think he was I think he was even asked pre-game something along the lines of if you lose, is that it kind of thing. Gary Neville on the final whistle yesterday said the bell has rung on the final lap of the Premier League title race. Arsenal on the shoulder of Liverpool, I think is what he said now. And when he said that, I did sort of think, has he gone a bit early with what we've... 4th of February when he said that is it the final is it the final lap of the title race I don't think I would go for lap at all I would go for final straight and even then we're not at that point you've got to be in the business end of the season to be in the final straight of the title race well then but maybe by that logic maybe we are on the final lap then if we haven't approached the final straight we're just mm. I do quite like that as an analogy because that when that bell rings there is still is what 400 metres to go and you're kind of like it's not you're not you're rarely going to be sprinting all out for that whole 400 metres but you're gearing up for the sprint and I do kind of feel that's at the stage we're at now where it, you know no one's talking about a run-in yet but we're kind of in the run into the run-in you've got to make a charge yeah you're position yourself. Yeah. Exactly. The, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is the time in the season where everyone, everyone theorises that Man City go on their run and that isn't a sprint to the finish. That's that's m- making your charge, which is the start of the final lap of a long distance race in athletics. Good. To bring it back to Charlie's original point, answering the original question, when, when I looked at the league table after that game yesterday and I saw the City had two games in hand and could go top, mm. I was just like, oh, well... Mm. There you go. City are going to win it, aren't they? Do you see a lot of that chat, though? Ultimately, yeah, City are going to win it, aren't they? And uh, it seems like a very blasé way of deciding this potentially quite tight title race to me. They have won we'll five of the last six, though, haven't they? Yeah. Ominous. Is it ominous? I think so. I think if they win tonight, that will be an ominous sign that they're sort of kicking into gear. Big players returning. Yeah, Haaland. If Haaland smashes in a hat-trick yeah. tonight, it's like, yeah, yeah. This podcast going out tomorrow, so uh, <laughs> egg, on, egg on your faces. I'm not saying anything. Right. Uh, it's time for Footballers' Names in Things. Kicking off with this from Richard Forsgaard, who's watching Swedish crime drama Beck Inferno. And one character turns up a distinctly non-legit printing company run by some Turkish blokes and has to give a code name to get in. I wonder which one they chose. Is it? Is it? Very good. I was hoping for Hassan's shash myself. That's the sort of level it should be. What kind of outfit is yeah, this? Yeah, that is pretty basic, isn't it? Yeah, I could. Pretty easy to get in there. Yeah. Get your counterfeit passport. Anyone who remembers Euro 96. Richard Forsgaard continues, though, Charlie. He says, having spent the last few days wondering whether it was done deliberately, considering Turkey's bullying of Sweden in the NATO process, the writer may have absolutely wanted to insert Hakan Sukur's name to annoy the current president of Turkey. So there might be more <laughs> layers to this. Oh, wow. That might good. be sort of diplomatic level layers into mm. this. Um, but I would have preferred someone a little bit more obscure, I have to say. Next up, it's this came from Matt. Which Wales international goalkeeper and military history novice, whose career I criminally lost track of for the purposes of last week's Premier League midpoint 11 discussions, appears in Fanta by Easy Fun? Having it? (laughs) Yeah. Wayne Hennessy. That's great. Wayne Hennessy uh, immortalised in some uh, sugary dance pop. Love that. Right. More of that next week, no doubt. Right. Next up, 
Stephen Erskine gets in touch. He was watching the final seconds of Aston Villa's first half demolition of sandwich sceptic Chris Wilder's Sheffield United at Bramall Lane on Saturday evening. And Don Goodman was summing things up before the break. Normally you say, don't you, at this stage of proceedings, you'd love to be a flight on the dressing room wall. I really wouldn't. I really wouldn't. That's the end of that. (laughs) (laughs) The first person ever recorded to say, I don't want to be a fly on the wall. (laughs) Why? Would he be in danger of being swatted, perhaps, by, by an errant teacup? throne or something yeah it's it's from a position of fear sure like i think that's the point he's trying to make but uh yeah does does need a bit more probing <laughs> you don't turn down the opportunity if 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 yeah. theory presents itself you don't turn the opportunity down to be a fly on the wall ever well, somebody do something about that fucking fly in here <laughs> fly eating the remnants of a sandwich disrespectful to be there <laughs> on the wall <laughs> meanwhile at bramwell lane jason kumar writes in says um vinicius souza um who's who's called the consolation or, or thought he'd scored the consolation for sheffield united picked up the ball and ran back to the centre circle with it after he'd made it 5-1 in the 91st minute of 95. Inappropriate, Jason Kumar says. That is very much stretching. Even for show, Charlie, that is stretching the limits of that gesture, isn't it? It's quite, yeah, it's quite funny that. I mean, doing that has almost, as much as it is to speed things along, it is also to show like, I'm not happy with this. It's not good enough. Like, I, I love the politics of when a team have got an equaliser and we all know it's a great draw for them and they like charge back kind of and they because they know there's no time to kick off anyway but it kind of makes it look like we see we wanted to win yeah, I've got the ball yeah, all the way yeah. back and uh, and yeah this is a kind of a, a completely pointless but I, I guess there is some you do PR have to do it, it there's, a, there's some yeah. residual PR purpose to yeah it, you can't not do it I suppose like, you you can't, you're not celebrating properly you're not going to be like knee sliding after that goal so what is the appropriate celebration then what is the appropriate action in that moment it's not yet knee slide any sort of ostentatious celebration just makes it all about yourself well, just, you yeah, can't you look remotely just happy back. just just jog back yeah head down maybe get maybe get a couple of limp high fives from a from a teammate or a pat on the back and you just jog back trying to find some mitigation here charlie he was quite close to the goal and the ball sort of maybe sort of bounced back towards him so maybe you just pick it up instinctively and say well i've got it now so i might as well take it with me i think a lot of it is muscle memory when you when you're when you don't celebrate a goal, it, the logical next thing to do is, oh, well, I need the ball then. If, mm. if it's that kind of goal, yeah, I need to take the ball with me. Yeah, it was disallowed anyway. So a completely academic. Maybe he thinks that if I don't do this, I'll get shit from the fans or from my teammates or Chris Wilder probably have a go at him or something. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Um, goal difference could be crucial. Come what... Uh, Oh, maybe. Come at the end of the season. No, so, fair you know, enough. That's playing the series. That will be pinpointed, game. actually. If they <laughs> stayed up, <laughs> there was a moment. It seemed irrelevant when they'd lost 5 1, but actually, it set the tone for Chris Wilder's great escape. And VAR rendered it null and void. I would also suggest, in the rankings now of goalkeepers most likely to hold on to the ball in that situation and cause a kerfuffle, Emmy Martinez would be right, right up Even there. at 5-0. Even at 5-0, yeah. I think, I, I can't think of another... And, and you don't see so much of that nowadays. There was no. a real phase that happened a lot. You don't see it so much, but Martinez definitely would... would get stuck into that it's because it's right up there as one of the most pathetic yellow cards you can get yeah I mean, it's, and he it's, loves that yeah it's, it, it, I don't know it doesn't even have a psychological blow on the opposition it's just there's no use to it but it is good fun when it happens right Glanners writes in next um, after Wolves 
won 4-2 at Stamford Bridge. A, a not unexpected result these days, really, in the grand scheme of things. And there is a drama to it, no question. But um, Flash Scores, push notification for this, to Glanners came up with Wolves stun Chelsea. And he asks, at what point do mid-table teams stop being able to stun mid-table Chelsea? Um, we've touched on this before, Charlie, about how much of a novelty it is for Chelsea to lose at home. Uh, is it a stunning? Uh, even even outside of the context of Chelsea's current malaise, it, was it a stunning? I think it was. I think the nature of the scoreline as well. Like if that's 1-0, I don't think you're getting a stunning or you shouldn't. But they were 4-1 up. I think that is a scoreline that most people would have looked at. I know it finished 4-2, but you know, at 4-1, I looked at that scoreline and did think, wow, like that is that feels significant that they're losing 4-1 at home to Wolves. Interesting reading of of the meaning of stun there, Charlie, because Dave, to me, stun means it's it's a little it's a little bit related to smash and grab. It's like it it was like the shock and awe of grabbing that goal. Stunning to me means upsetting the apple cart, but also doing it in a way that goes poof, we scored and do with that or off with the three points rather than the I can't believe this has happened. What an amazing victory. Could it be used in both? I, I think you're right. It, 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 the stunning element of it is like a jab, you know, in a boxing fight. You, just, just, you got hit with a jab a and you're a bit... Punch. Yeah, you're a bit... You know, you're not knocked out, but you're a bit off your feet or whatever. You're a bit, um, you know, seeing stars. But I don't know. I'm thinking of like other results. Like when like Watford beat Man United 4-1 a few seasons ago, Solskjaer's last game, that was a 4-1. I think that... Is that Watford stun Manchester United? Would that would that be appropriate in that? It's too big a margin of victory, I think, for a stun. In a way, actually, they're not stunning Manchester United. They're sort of stunning everyone else. <laughs> yeah. Produce stunning result. Yeah. Collective stunning. Fair enough. Well, how wide does the stunning umbrella go? I'm not sure. Uh, the same game, Charlie. Uh, much more of a grave misdemeanor. This came from frequent culprit, the Sky Sports YouTube channel. Uh, the title for their highlights for this game was Mateus Cunha to the rescue. Chelsea 2, <laughs> Wolves 4. I cannot see how that possibly works. They were 1-0 down and that's it? That's it? Yeah. No, it's Ludicrous. not a rescue job. Ludicrous. To the, yeah, to the rescue is, I mean, I probably think like a late winner or a late equaliser or something and sort of, yeah, drags a team into getting a result they absolutely should have done and look like they wouldn't for a while. 100%. Completely. It would be the other way around. If this game finished 4-all... And Christopher Nkunku scored two late goals to get a four-all. Then that Nkunku to the rescue would be yep. appropriate. Yeah. Um, Joseph Martinica, absolutely right to send that one in. Cannot be described as a rescue. All right, that brings us to the end of part one of today's adjudication panel. We'll be back very shortly. Welcome back to Football Clichés. The adjudication panel continues apace with the confirmed news that Neil Warnock is the new manager of Aberdeen Football Club. Lots of potentially um, predictable things for this breaking news. Um, I watched a clip from Sky Sports News from his unveiling. 109 seconds had elapsed and I thought it wasn't going to happen. But thank God, Neil Warnock fulfilled his mandatory duty. I know it's a long way, you know. Sharon, my wife, said, Aberdeen? <laughs> <laughs> but it's not for the money. I mean, I've, I've had some good offers in the last six, eight weeks. Sharon's run of appearances in Neil Warnock press conferences must be 
world world beating. Though he didn't quite do the thing we were all waiting for, the she wants me out of the house thing. It, I mean, it was, could be perfect because it's so far from where he lives, which is apparently Cornwall. I thought he was teeing it up for that. Yeah. How many times can you shame your own domestic skills before it starts to become, do you, actually, do you know what? Do more around your house. <laughs> so maybe maybe there is a line to be drawn. Yeah. Has Sharon overtaken Sandra, Sandra. Redknapp in the most famous spouse of a football manager. I think so. With the relentless output, I would have, you'd have to say yes. Just the sheer level of consistency, the longevity at the top. She hasn't had a moment in quite the same way as Sandra did. I mean, that Sandra Darren Bent one, I think. (laughs) Certainly among Spurs supporters lives long in the memory. But no, I do. I know what you mean, Adam. I mean, you know, start questioning your marriage a little bit. Why is she so happy for you to be out of the house? Is everything okay with Sharon? Roy Hodgson's wife called Sheila as well. Is that right? Sheila, Sandra and Sharon. (laughs) The Holy Trinity. They must get together for a bit of a chinwag. Right. This was always on the cards. I'm similarly delighted that it's been confirmed. Just to refresh your memory of England's group stage opponents at Euro 2024, Slovenia, Serbia, Denmark, who are they playing in pre-tournament friendlies? Bosnia and Herzegovina and Iceland. It's just <laughs> unbelievable that this persists in the age of analytics. <laughs> Charlie, it's, it's, it's an art installation of a pre-tournament pair of friendlies. Yeah, maybe though with analytics it shows that these there is such strong footballing heritage in these different regions that uh, they are the teams that make the most sense. I mean, I wonder if they just got, you know, an FB ref, you can do a thing where you say like, you know, a player and it says like, here are the eight players they're quite similar to. Right. Maybe it's just that. You just put in the team, you're like, yeah, they're quite similar. And can you do it with countries? Brilliant. I hope so. Um, yeah, I don't know. Oh, you would, to I mean, I'm sure you would be able to. Right? Yeah, they've got, yeah. They'll have enough data from their from the last few years of results. But with the with the slightly expanded f- format of the Euros, I suppose it reduces the options of non qualified nations as well to play against. Yeah, absolutely. But there must be somewhere at FAHQ day they were sitting there going, "Well, we've got three opponents at Euro 2024, but we've only got two dates. What are we going to do?" And then <laughs> someone goes, "Ah, well, the dissolution of the Socialist Federal Republic of Yugoslavia is quite convenient here because you can kill two birds with one stone." <laughs> Bosnia and Slovenia, just the same, apparently. Amazing. Next up, Chad Nugent writes in Charlie and says, "In the Wolves versus Manchester United game last week, Darren Fletcher described Matt Doherty as the only survivor from the last time Wolves won the fixture." Given he's played for two other clubs since then, surely he can't be described as a true survivor. <laughs> I've never considered this. On one hand, I think I feel like it's okay because he was there. Doesn't matter what's happened in the intervening period, does it? Because he's back. So he's there. Uh, yeah. He, he fills the vital role of being a survivor. Why does he need to have been there in the intervening period? Obviously, you could say he's the only player still... He's the only player who was there last time. I know what you mean. Survivor does... Because you haven't... You've not outlasted everyone else. That's um, the thing. That's the point. It does... It does infer that you've stuck around you've seen you know everyone else has gone but you're still there and the implication is you've survived so many changes yeah when you actually haven't you are one of the changes that's fair actually but i just got this concept now dave of on his on the sort of as he was on the verge of his move to spurs someone in the wolves office saying don't go you won't be able to be described as a survivor of our last defeat of man united in 2024 oh good point uh Big quandary for me. Just a lovely example of a thing never previously pondered, but now solved. Wonderful. Now this. This is a great case study for one of our favourite subjects, Dave. Unfinished business. It was as the rumours didn't swirl as such, but rumours popped up that Jose Mourinho was eyeing a return to Manchester United to replace the then beleaguered Eric Ten Hag. This was an unattributed kind of sentiment 
but the idea was that he had unfinished business at Old Trafford. And this is a really good thing to get stuck into for this concept. Most people, a lot of people would think he has unfinished business at Manchester. I don't think he does. I don't think the business he had there previously was left on enough of a cliffhanger. Like it wasn't, it was just, it fizzled out, it petered out and that was it. The business was essentially done. It Finished. It did itself. <laughs> exactly. And it's, he won a few things, you know, he won the Europa League for them, didn't he? And I finished second and yep. like there, were, there was enough Carabao Cup business to point to. It didn't get sort of ripped away from him. Yes, exactly. Like the the Chelsea, the original Chelsea sacking. Oh, I saw all, even even the two Chelsea sackings. Like there were kind of quick implosions. Yeah. yeah. And that that followed pretty recent success. Whereas the the United one was like a re. You know, it was a there was a decent decline before he was put out of his misery. <laughs> there's there's not even he wouldn't even go back on unfinished business to Manchester United, Charlie, as a sort of in a sense of atonement. Like I'm going to make up for what I did. There's just there is no. There's no angle here for unfinished business. And I think it's really important here that we, we say it shouldn't be used cheaply. You can't just say any manager going back to any club is unfinished business. This is a really good benchmark to set. Yeah, it is. Also because so much has happened since, so much has been rewritten about his time there. And I th- and yeah, you're right. Everyone's sort of made peace with it a little bit. I think his, I think his work there is done. What about um, Chelsea? Pochettino has now taken the beleaguered mantle manager mm. of the week from, from Ten Hag. And you know, there has been a few, whether they're serious or ironic suggestions that Mourinho could go back or the fans want Mourinho back. Would he have unfinished business still at Stamford Bridge? I think it's diminishing returns. He never won the Champions League. Yeah. So that like, and I'm not suggesting <laughs> he would do that, but I guess that would be the one thing he never did at Chelsea. And the Mourinho season is worth atoning for mm. as well. So he felt like he yeah. wants to come back and not save face, but, you know, kind of make up for that and prove that he is still the special one. So, uh, yeah, I think it's diminishing returns for him in Chelsea, unfinished business-wise, but that would still count. Worrying scenes elsewhere, though, because the abbreviation of Clino has now been officially legitimized by an institution, West Bromwich Albion, uh, congratulating their goalkeeper, Alex Palmer, Charlie, for a clean sheet. Another Clino, Alex Palmer. They they tweeted. This is a this is a bad step. This is a step in the wrong direction. Wow. Yeah. I mean, in some ways, it's not a huge surprise because I think a lot of the people who work within clubs are often were like very good footballers themselves and kind of might be quite across this sort of lingo and use this sort of lingo. And that's just kind of maybe they've lost sight of the fact that within that kind of very footbally world, these words that use they're not kind of used in the wider discourse. And presumably and quite close to the players as well. Exactly, yeah. So so you can imagine, like, you know, whoever's running the socials might have said, like, oh, another clean-o, mate. And then just be like, yeah, I want to have an authentic voice. I'll, I'll put it out there. But this is a huge step into the mainstream for it, isn't it, Dave? It is. But I'm, I'm increasingly comfortable with it. I prefer clean-o to clean-y. Oh, no, no question. Clean-y. Yeah, yeah I've, not- I've heard, <laughs> I've heard clean-y used and I don't like it. Clean-o finishes cleanly. I like exactly, it. Exactly, yeah. We kept a clean-o at Sunday League yesterday and we were describing it as such in the pub and it felt good. What was the score? 1-0 as well. Proper cleano. Right. Yeah, you can't do it. After a 0-0 draw, you can't be bragging about a cleano. Who did you stun? Old Rutlishians. The uh, former school of Steve Finn and Jason Cundy, Chris Perry and John Major. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Your boys took a hell of a beating. <laughs> right. This is another interesting one too, actually, Charlie. Max Lake writes in on the back of a tweet from the Premier League's official Twitter account. Um, a little montage of Darwin Nunez troubling the Chelsea goal in their win at Anfield last week. Darwin Nunez, they tweeted, is the only player on record to hit the woodwork four times 
in a Premier League match. One of them was a save from Georgi Petrovic, who tipped it onto the post, diverted a shot onto the post, a low drive. Does that count? Well, I mean, it technically does. And I think it's I think it's okay. I think you'd come off the game being... I think if you'd had that incident, you'd come off the game being like, oh, that one I hit the post, I'm really annoyed about. It was a really, really good about. save. Yeah, but you're still as close... Depends what point you're trying to make, I guess. Like if you're mm-hmm. bantering Nunes as being like, ah, you can't hit the target, it doesn't stack up. But if you're just saying, God, how close did he come to scoring? He hit the woodwork four times. Yeah. Then... That's kind of fine. Let me address it another way, Dave. If you shoot on target, the goalkeeper makes a tremendous save to tip it onto the post. Are you denied by the work? Does it still count on that spiritual level? No, because you were first denied by the goalkeeper. <laughs> That's the primary denial. <laughs> yeah. Woodwork's played its part, though. So statistically, Charlie, it does count. I believe so, yeah. Because I because all the I think Opta were tweeting out that he was the first player ever to have done it. So I'm pretty sure it does count, yeah. Yeah, I kind of I don't I agree with it more on a statistical level. Um, it's the philosophical level that I'm having I, more problems I, with. I think you're right to point out the good save as well because I think sometimes if it's a deflection or like if it's kind of a, maybe a fingertip or something, it's a, whereas if it's like a proper good hand, solid hand onto the post, it feels less like you've hit the post, more like a denial from the goalkeeper. Fair enough. Here's a question from Richard. He says, I caught something on Sky Sports called Premier League Years, yes, and Alex Ferguson was described as a wily old manager. It got me thinking, we don't hear that much anymore. What does it take to be wily? Is nobody wily anymore? Is David Moyes wily? Is it Scottish? I never described Marco Silva as wily. I'd love to know what you think. First of all, Charlie, wiliness is very much predominantly a Scottish thing in football isn't it? Well, it's also an elderly thing. I mean, that, that you most often a wily old fox. So I think the suggestion is that they are, they're, or they're certainly experienced. They've been around the block. And I think there is, I mean, it's interesting about Scottish because we do, there's a natural assumption that you're, you're quite smart about football. I think if you hear a Scottish accent, you're instantly kind of like, okay, they... Yeah, that's cultural capital, no question. Yeah, they know their stuff here. So there probably is that. But, but it's interesting he says about Marco Silva because I think he is maybe quite wily. He is a little bit wily. So it keeps, yeah. his, keeps himself to yeah. himself a little bit. And he's quite like the way he plays. You know, he doesn't give teams a huge amount. He's quite smart and, you know, tactically adept. Let's, let's he, dig into the he caricature. He might be one of the wilier Premier League managers. Right? I think you might be right. But let's, let's dig into the caricature a bit more, Dave. What, what, is, the, what is the fundamental elements of being wily well how does it manifest itself as a manager is it sort of nicking results is it being astute in the transfer market what is it is it good man management I feel like mind games with other managers is that where wiliness comes in I certainly think Mourinho could be described as wily these days when he's sort of having when he's in one of his better moments you know when he's sort of getting to a Europa League final or whatever and like yeah He's still got it in him to be wily on occasion. Is it purely an age thing, though? It's interesting you bring up Marco Silva, because I wouldn't have thought so, but he does embody some of those characteristics, which is interesting. So, so like, is Roy Hodgson wily? I don't think he is. Or do we just say that because he's old? I don't know. No, I don't think so. But then his teams are often quite hard to break down, Charlie. He sets his teams up well. Is that wiliness? Is that enough? Well, Wiley, I, do you know what? I think like Eddie Howe, has, he's someone who you might hear, you know, he's, he's wilier than people give him credit for. You know, he's, cause he's <laughs> no kind one of has got, ever said those words. Come but, on. But he's got the kind of angelic look. But actually his teams are, like his Newcastle team is like a nasty team. They are masters of the dark arts. Yeah, masters of the dark arts. Because wiliness is about kind of deceit and, you know, being sly, tricky and skillful. You know, finding an advantage any way you can. And they're... 
That's absolutely what they do. Is Gary O'Neill wily? I think he's more of a purist, that's the thing. And that's why Eddie Howe, the assumption might have been from Bournemouth, from his Bournemouth days, that he was like that. Okay. Is Postacoglu wily? No, I don't think... Again, I mean, too much of a ways, romanticist, is he? Yeah, exactly. He's a wily, he's wily in that he's experienced and he's... Streetwise. Been around the block. Yeah, yeah. street wily, but um, <laughs> <laughs> not, not, not conventional wily. Not Alan wily. Got it. T- Thomas Frank is quite wily. Like he, you know, his teams like to do things at set pieces that are a bit disruptive. Then no stranger to time wasting. Your personality does come into it, though. He's a bit too avuncular to be wily, nice and jovial. Yeah, he's he's Moisey wily to bring it full circle. Is he? I think I think people just call him Wiley because he just ticks some of the because <laughs> he's old and boxes. Is yeah. he Wiley? I mean, he's, again, his teams do nick Wiley-ish results. Yeah, they, they they've often been quite smart. His teams, haven't they? They've kind of you know been like maximizers. I think he's been going throughout his career, Dave. Going, oh, people call me Wiley. I'm not. I'm not at all. <laughs> <laughs> they don't have a fucking clue. <laughs> Nuno is he Wiley? He thinks he's wily, but he's not. That's that. I think he'd be <laughs> a very got good example. A bit of wiliness. He projects wiliness, but actually isn't. Mm. Right, little tap in to close the adjudication panel today. Here's Gary Lineker or Mickey Van der Ven on Match of the Day. It's just a really impressive performance for him today. You know, commanding. You know, dem- you know give, I'm going to take this ball. Gets his hand into the centre forward's chest. Just a yeah. real top performance yeah. from a top top player. Yeah. Whenever uh, centre halves are quick, they're always called Rolls Royces, aren't they? I don't know why. It's one of those, it's a football cliche. He is a Rolls Royce. What was I? Oh, no. Why did you ask that? A Rover. (laughs) (laughs) An old banger. An old banger. Uh, Let's move on. Cheers, Gary. Keep that up for us if you could. (laughs) And while you're at it, could you come and do your Mezzahala dicks as well, please? That'd be fantastic. (laughs) Cheers. Bloody hell. Honestly. Right, it's time for Keys and Grey Corner. Some low-hanging fruit in Keys and Grey Corner this week. I I thought it best for just to package it all together. Here is really kind of just a cross-section of the Keys and Grey weekend on Be In Sports. So it's Green Football Weekend. Is it? Okay. I have hesitated to this point, but now you've got me. Look, I mean, come on, you've just you've just nicked one. Yeah, I get that. I'm, 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 not, I'm not saying that's right, but you're not going to change that, I'm saying. Well, you should. But you're not telling, shows, me, that the players, a little more you're not telling me the players that, over-celebrated I, I think you Arteta needs to show a little more you. dignity. I agree with you. Especially when I'm the goals you. are present. I'm with you 100%. He used to sit next well, to Guardiola well, and just, not say boo to a goose. Can I just didn't say move. about it? It's a terrific win. I think the coach needs to show more yes, dignity. Yes, I agree with you, 100%. Just get rid of it. Get rid of it. And then they take this. Yeah, get rid of it. Do you think it's a bit of both? I do. I don't think they want both. to commit. A bit of both, yeah. I repeat what I said earlier. It's a little bit like being in the office when the boss goes at five <laughs> o'clock and you're not due to leave until six. I think six, the judgment... Everything stopped it. Just a lovely um, lovely showcase of the experience, isn't it, really? We, we must be at the tail end of the Arteta Arsenal celebrating debate now, Charlie. I mean, Carragher waded in, of course. So, and yeah. he, he has his own history with that particular phenomenon. Um, I'm amazed to see it still gathering pace, I have to say. I think until Arsenal win something big it will always be 
you, it, it legitimizes that view because you can always say that that you know link the fact that they're not they haven't won anything big to that almost I think if they do then the ends justify the means I mean that's not going to stop Keezy is it but no. Klopp and Simeone or whoever it's kind of fine for them to do what they want once they have proven that they're sort of winners it's amazing to me Dave that Keezy continues to find the loopholes in his anti-Arteta rhetoric. In this case, it wasn't they'd beaten Fulham, they'd beaten Liverpool at home in an important step in the title race. And uh, so he pivoted to, well, they won't. the goals weren't worthy of celebrating like that, which I think is sensational. <laughs> you, you will always find a way. Yeah, well, I mean, because that's the thing, it's always like they celebrated like they won the league. If they did win the league, I guess, you know, they're celebrating like they've, they've won multiple leagues or the World Cup, you know, come back when you win league after league. Andy. They were surprisingly progressive, Charlie, about that in their attitudes to a green football weekend, though. I, I was curious to hear that, but that almost doesn't surprise me that much. Like I, Steve Coogan, I was hearing recently talking about how his new Partridge character is has kind of is actually very woke or wants to be very woke because he doesn't really understand it. So. <laughs> Just go like like path of least resistance. I'll go with that. And to be fair to Keezy, maybe that's a bit harsh on him because he does have the capacity to surprise sometimes with uh, you know his politics or things like that. So yeah, I mean, because I haven't heard what he says, but I presume what he's saying like they you know the hypocrisy of the Premier League. Yeah, yeah. He, you could hear him saying it's Green Football Weekend. Apparently, City still fly to the games though. I wonder how many of their conversations start with Keezy announcing something, Dave, and then Andy Gray just saying, "Oh, is it?" Oh, really? Mm. <laughs> oh, really? Okay. Do some prep. This isn't a new observation at all, but they did show their remarkable ability there to be in total agreement with each other, but yet still sort of arguing with each other at the same time. No, I agree with you. McAteer got properly stuck in the middle of it this weekend. Uh, it's um, He really does earn his corn. Nice little bit of bit of bothing there mm. in the middle of the compilation, which yeah. um, reminded me of a quite remarkable thing that happened to me on Sunday. It was my girlfriend's nephew's fifth birthday, and we were we were around their, around their house celebrating. And I was engaged in a very simple game of catch with said five-year-old boy. And... <laughs> He threw the ball to me at one stage and I fumbled it, dropped the catch. And honestly, he turned to me and said, was that a bad throw or a bad catch? <laughs> and I said, I mean, you know, there was no one else. There was no one else paying attention. It was just me and him. And I said, well, a bit of both. <laughs> bit of both. Kids are surprisingly obsessed with that. Was it Was it a good throw? Yeah, 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 it was. It was just me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> But yeah, fair play to you for a bit of bothing that. Um, right, yeah. Well done, you two. Great adjudication paneling. Well done to you, Charlie. Thank you. Thanks to you, Dave Walker. Thank you. And we'll be back on Thursday. See you later. Sports Social Podcast Network.